0: Welcome to Helix Talk, an educational podcast for healthcare students and providers covering real life clinical pearls, professional pharmacy topics, and drug therapy discussions.
1: This podcast is provided by pharmacists and faculty members at Rosalind Franklin University College of Pharmacy.
0: This podcast contains general information for educational purposes only. This is not professional advice and should not be used in lieu of obtaining advice from a qualified healthcare provider.
2: And now, on to the show. Welcome to Helix Talk, episode 99. I'm your co-host, Dr. Kane.
0: I'm Dr. Patel, and today we have with us the Associate Dean of Student Affairs at College of Pharmacy at Rosen Franklin University, Dean Janine Winicky. Thanks,
1: it's great to be here today, and uh, I'm looking forward to the talk.
2: Awesome. Well, the title of today's episode is, May I Take Your Order? The Menu of Professional Pharmacy Organizations. And today we're gonna go through some of the more common professional organizations that are out there that would be relevant to pharmacy students, what they are, what they do, where a student might interact with some of these organizations.
0: Yeah, and I think when we have students here, as it is, it's difficult for them to select what organizations they wanna join, but it becomes incredibly challenging once they're advancing to becoming practitioners. So, you know, when they're in their residency or fellowship or postgraduate training and they're actually then practicing professionals. So we're going to kind of discuss the pros on pharmacy organizations in general and how to keep involved years after pharmacy education is
1: over. That's what I was going to say I think not only are we going to talk about this from a student perspective but I think you know from someone myself who's been a practitioner for 25 years talk about some of the
0: opportunities and reasons
1: for a seasoned practitioner to be involved get involved or stay involved.
0: Yeah and I just have a quick disclaimer that you know there are so many different pharmacy organizations out there. And in this episode, we obviously don't list each and every one of them. The purpose is to kind of talk about uh, more of the larger organizations, and then uh, more importantly, address the importance of joining at least one um, to get more networking opportunities and professional enrichment.
2: Well, let's kick it off with the first one, which is APHA, the American Pharmacists Association. And this is actually the first national professional pharmacy organization that was founded way back in 1852, which is amazing given you know the profession of pharmacy, the chronology and the history of pharmacy, 1852. A lot has changed since that time
0: a lot has changed, right? More sectors of pharmacy has come across because at that time it used to be called American Pharmaceutical Association that encompassed not just the clinical side of pharmacy but more on the scientific side of pharmacy
2: as well. And this is one of the largest organizations that we have, correct?
0: That's correct. We have about a little bit more than 60,000 members and that includes practicing pharmacists, student pharmacists, pharmaceutical scientists, and even pharmacy technicians.
2: So Dean Monicki, what are the typical people who are involved in this organization.
0: You bet. I think this really
1: is one of the most broad-based organizations for pharmacists or students who are just pro-pharmacy, regardless of their practice site. And when you take a look at the things they have to offer to members, it's varied and it will really almost find something for anyone um, as a member of APHA
2: perhaps that reflects the the large size of its organization as you said more than sixty thousand people that's not going to just be community pharmacists not just be inpatient clinical pharmacists it's going to be a lot of different people
1: and it's exciting to think it'll be really having its 200th anniversary wow um in 2052 which might sound like a long time from now but it'll be here before we know it
2: so like many organizations they have an annual meeting what might someone expect at an annual meeting
0: their annual meeting is actually one of the largest gathering. It happens once a year somewhere around the spring. And in addition to APHA members' meeting during this meeting, they have... Concurrent meetings for other organizations that don't have a larger venue or uh, meeting to gather, such as, you know, Phi Lemba Sigma and Rokai. These are your honored pharmacy societies. Industry pharmacy organization meets their International Pharmaceutical Student Federation, as well as certain other um, government pharmacy right. groups. Um, federal uh, pharmacy groups also meet during a PHA annual meeting. I would say you have to wear your walking shoes, Dr. Kane, because mm-hmm. it is a big meeting
1: with lots and lots of sessions and opportunities that start at five or six in the morning and go till six, seven, or eight in the evening, depending on what you want to do.
2: So given that the group is so heterogeneous that you have so many things going on, I would assume that the sessions are going to be highly varied in terms of what one might see if they were to attend a session, like an educational session.
0: Absolutely. It's hard to pinpoint at one. But I do want to say from student perspective that this is the largest gathering of student pharmacists. It gives a separate concurrent parallel meeting for students together, run their government house of delegate sessions, as well as their leadership training sessions as well. And I would echo uh, Dr. Kane. I think those CE offerings are
1: wide, they're varied, they um, help identify them, whether they're entry level or a little more advanced, which can be really helpful when you attend if you want to think about something new that you want to learn about, or if you want to advance your current knowledge, Uh, the program is set up really well to
0: help you with that. Yeah, and I think there there's, seems to be more of a continuum. You know, you, you have student pharmacists, then you have these new practitioners. So there are sessions catered towards somebody who's just entered the profession. And then there are sessions for, obviously, seasoned practitioners and some of the veteran practitioners as well. So it's more of a fluid um, fluid type of environment when you attend the meetings. And more importantly, for student organizations, the, the meeting also holds a, some competitions, such as the National Patient Counseling Competition.
2: Another thing that APHA is involved in is lobbying, in terms of uh, representing the interests of pharmacists with respect to Congress and the legislature, right?
1: Absolutely, most of these national organizations with APHA we're talking about first are gonna be involved in lobbying, or really promoting our profession to the government at a national level, in this in this case, um, Washington, D.C. And when we think about how highly regulated healthcare is, it's really important to have our voice at the table and be heard. And so that really, uh, to me, is one of the important reasons to be a member. I don't want the laws that are going to impact my profession or even my health care as a patient to be dictated by people that are not informed about those health care issues. And so those lobbying efforts are, are key.
0: Yeah, and I think you, you put it very well there, Dean Menakey is, and I think it, what APHA is doing differently is they're trying to instill these principles in students too. You know, So they're asking students to get involved in advocacy efforts while they're in pharmacy school, not just when they become pharmacists.
2: So in terms of benefits of joining, aside from attending a meeting and getting CE and networking and things like that, what are some other benefits that a member of APHA may derive?
0: Um, you could join special interest group. You can take leadership positions in those interest groups, too. You can stay up to date by getting some of their publications, such as the Journal of American Pharmacists Association, Jaffa Pharmacy Today is their more commercial type of publication. They have their drug information updates, daily briefing emails come through, their advocacy updates. they are obviously live and online uh, webinar CEs available, too. Uh, yeah, that's what I would say. For me, it's just a way to stay up to date, whether I want
1: to read a little blip right, and then hit the link to learn more. There's opportunity for that in almost any area of pharmacy.
2: Excellent, so moving on from the biggest to I guess the second biggest would be ASHP. This is the American Society of Health Systems Pharmacists. This is just behind APHA with about 50,000 members as part of its ranks.
0: We kind of look at more of the the niche areas that they represent pharmacists in hospital, HMOs, long-term care, home health, and other areas of healthcare system in general. Then that includes pharmacy residency, placement services, healthcare administration, so like we're talking about management, pharmacy informatics, and again, those pharmacy technicians practicing in any of these environments.
1: Right. Really comprehensive for any pharmacist who has an interest or is involved in healthcare system pharmacy.
0: And again, the purpose is to advance and support those you know, individuals working in hospitals and health system to then kind of really put medication safety and public health at the forefront.
2: And at least for me, one of the things that I think of when I think of ASHP is the mid-year clinical meeting. And it's at that mid-year clinical meeting that a couple things happen that I think about every year, including the clinical skills competition for students. I also think about the PPS, which is the interview process during mid-year. And also the showcase, the residency showcase, where thousands of different residencies are there to talk about why you should join their residency and apply to them and things like that. It's a, a huge event at the Mid-Year Clinical Meeting with ASHP.
0: Yeah, you're going to see a lot of third-year, or fourth-year or pharmacy students, you know, walking about um, either in their nicest attire, you know, either interviewing or meeting with these residency directors and residents uh, of the current program. That's what I was going to say to our practitioners
1: listening, uh, If you precept students, Mid-year might sound to us like it's the middle of the year, but it's actually in December, mid-year of the association's fiscal year, but mid-year is in December. So if you're precepting students and they're kind of uh, a little riled up and talk about mid-year, there really is a mid-year meeting in December and it is a big one for anyone interested in residencies.
0: Yeah, another big thing ASHP does is it accredits uh, pharmacy residency programs across the United States and that uh, it joins hands with APHA as well as AMCP to accredit some of the community as well as the managed care type residencies.
2: And just to reemphasize that, accreditation is incredibly important because if you want to do a PGY-2, typically you have to go through a PGY-1 accredited program And accreditation means something. It means that it's been evaluated by this governing body, ASHP, to make sure that you're getting out of your residency what you're supposed to and that it's consistent across all residencies. It's kind of a seal of approval that someone has validated that that's an appropriate residency that meets their standards.
1: I would absolutely say that. And I think uh, one of the things for our students listening, we've talked about ASHP being an organization mainly focused on health systems. But as it relates to residencies, all residencies, as my partners here have mentioned, whether you're talking community pharmacy, managed care, et cetera, all fall uh, as a partnership in accreditation, recruitment, et cetera.
0: And when it comes to student organizations, um, they do have their SSHP, that's a student front of organization, basically connects the, the state ASHP affiliate organization. So, for example, for Illinois, it will be ICHP, Illinois Council of Health System Pharmacy, and their student chapter to the national ASHP. As we talked about benefits from APHA, you know, we have similar type of benefits coming from ASHP to the members. In addition to networking and leadership opportunities, we get to see um, participation in special sections and forums um, in order to stay up to date. They have their own journal, AJHP. ASHP daily briefings are some of those emails that you get to keep up to date on a daily basis. Advocacy updates live and online CEs are provided. Right. They're absolutely advocating and uh, working hard to
1: promote the profession of pharmacy and make sure those decisions are, are getting made that provide opportunity for us as pharmacists. They have some great career tools as as well. Actually, all the organizations do, but those career tools, I know I recommend a lot for students off the ASHP website.
0: Yeah. And if you, uh, you are a preceptor out there and you know wanting to advance yourself, they actually have a separate preceptor conference, whether you're precepting pharmacy students or uh, pharmacy resident, but the also have a lot of precepting um, tools available on their website.
2: So moving on to our third organization, ACCP, the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. This is a little bit smaller, so about 15,000 members, a little bit newer, established in 1979. And really the purpose of ACCP is to advance pharmacists expanding into clinical practice and research. So this is kind of a clinical arm, if you will, of a pharmacy organization.
0: Yeah, and when I think about a CCP, I, I think about, you know, promoting that clinical advancement of the pharmacist and really pushing pharmacists and work with other healthcare providers in more collaborative manner.
2: And of course, they also have an annual meeting, so they provide updates in therapeutics, so kind of a pharmacotherapy-esque approach to how they provide CE at their meetings.
0: And again, that focuses usually on practice of pharmacy, education, and research. And so when we talk about research, tons of opportunities for researchers to present their abstract or podium presentations as well.
1: I think another opportunity
0: at those ACCP meetings are just continued education
1: at really a, on an advanced or specific level. So perhaps helping provide CE is pharmacists get ready to think about taking a board certification exam through BPS, oftentimes there's some CE opportunities to get them ready for that.
2: Absolutely. There are student chapters as well for ACCP, and through that student chapter, there is also a competition. And in this case, the National Clinical Pharmacy Challenge is offered through ACCP as a, a student challenge.
0: Yeah, and the interesting thing about this challenge is that usually the, the pre challenges. Is- occur online, so remotely, and then the national uh, challenges when occurs at the annual meeting.
2: Very cool. Yeah. So in terms of benefits, you know, as with all of the other organizations, networking is huge, leadership opportunities is huge. With ACCP, they have something called uh, PRNs. These are practice and research networks. These are kind of lists of people with a particular topic where someone on a PRN might email out, you know, have you encountered this side effect with this drug or how is your institution dosing or have a protocol for a particular medication or regimen? Um, It's kind of a way to communicate with other members of ACCP within that PRN.
0: Yep. And they have something called ACCP Academies, too. They focus on four major things, such as leadership and management, research and scholarship development, and teaching and learning. And basically, the purpose is to take the new practitioners and train them who are en route to any of these positions in these areas. So I think as Dr.
1: Kane, Dr. Patel, you've said, they provide so many opportunities to stay up to date uh, online, at their meetings, through these PRN or the academies. They also have great career tools. So again, students, if you're a member of ACCP or become one, you have access to those career tools, or pharmacists that are precepting, or perhaps looking to make a change, right? There's some great opportunities to have peers review your CV, letter of intent, et
2: cetera. And like all of the other organizations, ACCP also has their own journal. And this one is called Pharmacotherapy, and that would be the journal of the ACCP.
0: So moving on to another bigger organization is A- ACP, which is the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy. This is where uh, the academics of pharmacy is housed, and rightly so, they are committed to advance pharmacy education and scholarship.
2: So this is not to be confused with ACCP, Uh, This is AACP, where we're focusing on basically pharmacy education as opposed to kind of clinical pharmacy and things like that.
0: So when we're looking at the breadth of AACP scope, we're looking at 142 schools that are accredited by ACPE who are part of uh, institute members. And we're looking at about 6,000 faculty, 62 some thousand students, and we're looking at about 5,000 graduate students as well.
1: And so what's interesting about this particular organization is the institution holds um, a membership, but uh, as individual faculty member, we also uh, can hold that individual membership and take advantage of the opportunities and benefits.
0: And you practitioners, if you're in academia, you get that first-year membership for free. (laughs) All you need is the dean's letter.
2: (laughs) So really, just like all of the other organizations, we see an annual meeting. They also have interim meetings, which many of the other organizations also have and also special AACP institutes. Are you guys familiar with that?
1: Well, I am because I actually just attended one on health and wellness for students and faculty. My role in student affairs, you know, would have a special interest in that, and it was great because it was specialized. Um, It was just with folks who had that interest, hearing from subject matter experts, and I was able to take back a lot of great ideas uh, to bring back to my school this upcoming academic year.
2: I think that's actually a really good example of the kinds of CE or content that you might expect. So from ACCP, for example, you might have a CE on, you know, what's new or different in treating chronic heart failure, whereas with AACP, you might have a CE on how to give better test questions or how to be a better lecturer or how to support students.
0: Or how to be a good preceptor, you know, or deal with special situations.
2: So it makes sense that different organizations are going to have programming based on whatever that organization specializes in.
0: So continuing the trend of having a major journal publication, AACP also has their own journal called AJPE, American Journal of Pharmacy Education. We do have an Academic Pharmacy Now online magazine, webinars, and live CEs. They have special interest groups. They have councils of faculty, deans, and sections. And they also have certain scholarship opportunities for both students and faculty. One example is their Walmart Scholars Program.
1: Right, the Walmart Scholars Program is an opportunity for students who have an interest, perhaps, in going into academia to partner and apply with a member of their faculty for this program and attend their meeting and learn behind the scenes as a student what it what's it like to be a faculty and and what kind of opportunities are available
2: moving on to our next organization amcp this is the academy of managed care pharmacy and this is representing pharmacists involved in managed care so this is going to be anyone involved in pbm insurance companies things like that
0: and we're looking at about 8,000 members that then serve about 270 million Americans. So and I the- think that's the key. I think that's the key there, Dr. Patel. It's a smaller
1: organization, but when we think about it, managed care impacts so many um, patients.
0: It has a small membership, but impacts such a large number 270 million. Uh, And then when we're looking at what the actual goal of this organization is to increase patient access to affordable medicine, improving health outcomes, so they're really focused on outcomes research, as well as ensuring wise use of healthcare dollars. So they put out a lot of cost-effective and cost-utility analysis and tell us whether this so-and-so treatment is actually worthwhile in using or not. Similar to the others, there
1: are student chapter organizations available competitions for students and I know even at my school we do not have a student group of this particular organization AMCP but I reach out to the listserv and find members who might want to come to campus and talk with my students so that's something to keep in mind
0: for those of you who want to learn more even if you're not a member yet you can sure reach out and and learn Yeah, their PNT competitions tend to be a very uh, interesting competition. These are called pharmacy and therapeutic competitions, the roots of which were started at UIC College of Pharmacy, and that became more of a a national um, competition in itself. Speaking at a little breadth because myself uh, competed in it, and I learned a lot out of it. You kind of just um, get a new drug that's developed, and um, you basically get to read the entire dossier from the pharmaceutical company.
2: I actually want to just emphasize for a second the value of these competitions i also i didn't do the pnt competition but i did do the clinical skills competition and i really valued that experience dramatically it really changed my perspective on how to study for pharmacy school the importance of it it, it uh, gave me this motivating factor beyond grades that really made me a better pharmacy student and later pharmacist So I love the fact that so many of these organizations have these competitions that get students out of grade mode and put their perspective in a different venue that probably is really helpful for their growth as students and later practitioners.
1: I would absolutely say that. Students who are listening participate in one of the competitions. Even if you're thinking, no, no, I'm not going to win. That's not for me. It is for you because it does give you an opportunity to put your education into practice. It also gives you an opportunity to work on a team in many of these, and we know that working as a pharmacist is a collaborative opportunity, so it's a great opportunity.
2: And AMCP is involved in accrediting managed care residencies and internships. Again, the accreditation process is really important to make sure that you have consistent quality of these programs through the accreditation body, in this case, AMCP.
0: Um, they do also have their um, own journal, um, Journal of Managed Care and Specialty Pharmacy. Um, their Daily Dose is their newsletters. They have webinars and live CE. So again, when it comes to benefits to member, it's very similar to some of other organizations we talked about. What's a little different is they put out a guide um, to pharmaceutical payment methods. So this talks at breadth about, you know, what do you see in red books, you know, the acquisition costs and what, what the usual and customary cost and really what are the costs to and how to bill for your clinical pharmacy services too. So those who are kind of thinking about establishing a business or a clinical service, they can utilize this
2: guide as well. The next organization is AAPS. This is the American Association of Pharmaceutical Scientists. This is primarily focused on students that are pursuing master's or PhD programs, but still relevant to the field of pharmacy.
0: Yeah, and if you look at who's actually the member body of this organization, is they're all scientists, they're dedicated to the discovery, development, and manufacturing process of um, pharmaceutical products and therapies and things like that. So it's very scientific and R&D in nature. And as you might guess, the opportunities
1: that they have really are around scientific programming, ongoing education related to that research or science, opportunity again for networking and, and professional development related to pharmaceutical scientist interest. You know, another thing is I just was wrapping up around AAPS What a great opportunity for our pharmaceutical scientists through this organization to share and exchange knowledge on an international front, because we know uh, drug development is an international topic, and so this is a great forum and place for for that to occur.
2: Now, the next organization is the ASCP, American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. This was founded in uh, 1969, so finishing 50 years this year. And really, this organization is focusing on health outcomes for older adults, so more of that geriatric patient population.
0: Yep. And so focusing on that, they also provide study material for those who are sitting on board certification for geriatric pharmacy. They also have job finder on their website uh, and in. Just like all the other organizations, they have their own journal called the Senior Care Pharmacist Journal. Um, they have their online resource centers for those who are caring for the special patient populations and their um, live and webinar CEs are available too.
2: So despite the name of American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, as we mentioned, this is definitely a focus more on that geriatric patient population.
0: And a couple last bigger organization we have to discuss are focused in the community practice. We have NCPA, which is National Community Pharmacists Association. We're looking at them representing about 23,000 independent pharmacies. So again, they're community pharmacies, but they're more focused on the independent pharmacies and the pharmacy owners, managers, and employees.
1: Absolutely. Great resource. It really is the go-to if you're an independent pharmacy owner. And again, great uh, networking, annual meeting opportunities, opportunities to learn new products new marketing new business ideas and so forth
2: and then we also have the nacds this is the national association of chain drug stores founded in 1933 this really represents the big retail chains of pharmacies and suppliers this is going to include you know, your typical corner drugstore type uh, programs, as well as the suppliers of those programs. Right.
1: The other thing that I would point out is we're talking about NACDS, NCPA. Those also provide great uh, lobbying opportunities, partnership opportunities for a unified voice, a unified message on pharmacy topics with APHA that we talked about earlier this uh, session, as well as ASHP.
2: You know, as we mentioned as the disclaimer at the beginning, we can't cover every organization out there. Just to briefly mention a couple specific organizations that certain pharmacists or pharmacy students may eventually be involved in. For me, Society of Critical Care Medicine, SCCM. This is a, an interprofessional organization focused only on critical care that includes nurses, physicians, pharmacists, things like that. So any critical care people would definitely have heard of SCCM.
1: We have uh, HOPA, which we would know as HOPA. The Hematology-Oncology Pharmacy Association. I think the name pretty much uh, speaks for itself.
2: And you know, a student may be involved in HOPA if, let's say they did research as a student and they presented a poster. Uh, If that was an oncology hematology topic, they might go to HOPA and present that poster at the HOPA conference.
0: And our beloved Dr. Schumann is not here, but otherwise he would love to talk about this. The next organization is College of Psychiatric and Neurologic Pharmacists, CPNP. Um, obviously, as the name says, you know, it kind of revolves around all the psychi- psychiatric and neurologic um, issues and, and concerns. There's a pediatric pharmacy ad- advocacy group as well, PPAG.
2: And then we also have the Society of Infectious Disease Pharmacists, SIDP.
0: And we talked about the uh, AAPS that focused on you know pharmaceutical industry, but we have a focus organization called IPHO Industry Pharmacist Organization. This really connects the pharmacists and pharmacy students who are interested in industry opportunities.
2: So really, those focused a lot on interest groups, right? So if you're interested in hospital pharmacy, clinical pharmacy, managed care, chain drug stores, We have tons of organizations focusing on those. We also have student organizations and really alumni organizations as well that focus just on being a pharmacy student.
1: Exactly, and those professional pharmacy fraternities, as as Dr. Kane mentioned, are are usually that you join as a student member, and then that membership um, continues your whole uh, lifetime as a pharmacist, and you can continue to network, um, meetings at annual conferences, regional conferences, connect with students. Uh, A couple of them that come to my mind would be Phi Delta Chi, um, Kappa Psi, Rho Pi Phi, um, as well as Kappa
0: Epsilon. Those are at least four of the main ones that come to my mind. There are probably others. Yep, actually there are three or four others. It depends on, you know, what college of pharmacy you get involved in. There were some, some of these were established, uh, very old pharmacy schools, such as Philadelphia College of Pharmacy or, you know, Iowa College of Pharmacy. In, in a nutshell, these are the larger ones that we see. We do have some honorary pharmacy societies, as we mentioned earlier. Rokai is our academic honors uh, pharmacy uh, fraternity or society. or And then we have Phi Lambda Sigma PLS, which is um, recognizing leaders' um, ownership. These are all national organizations we talked about. Uh, we cannot emphasize the importance of state pharmacy organizations. Obviously, per individual state, there might be one or two out there. For Illinois, we have the Illinois Pharmacist Association, IPHA, as well as ICHP. For Wisconsin, for example, we have the Pharmacy Society of Wisconsin, and we encourage students to Get involved at a smaller level. You know, if you are afraid of going to those meetings where there's you know thousands of people, maybe going to state meetings might right. be a better step in the right direction. Uh, and state organizations are going to be those uh, venues uh, that would give you the opportunity. So we listed all these organizations, and there's just so many to select from. But what it really boils down to is kind of weighing out the pros and the cons. So Dean Miniki, if a student approached you, how would you guide them in the right direction? What are the pros of joining them? Right.
1: Well, I hope you've been able to tell from um, the podcast today that networking is one of the largest pros or reasons to join. And staying connected with your peers is important throughout your professional career and it gives you the opportunity to learn. It helps others learn from you. And for me, it's just a way to realize I'm not out there alone. Um, in the issues that you might be dealing with on a day-to-day basis. It's an opportunity to stay up to date. How many journals, CEs, webinars, etc. did you hear us uh, talk about today? And what I love is it's the menu of your choice. You get to do the ones that you want to do. The leadership opportunities are great. We try to get students who are leaders on campus to stay leaders in our profession, and we need leaders in our profession. And these are some opportunities to kind of put your feet in and say, yes, I like that, whether it's through your special interest group or a task force or um, something like that. And then you can continue down that path um, if you'd like. The opportunities for research and scholarship, especially for those of us that are um, in an academic setting or um, have that interest, is is available as well.
2: You know, In terms of some downsides, we just went through many different organizations. And if you joined all of them, you would lose a lot of money uh, because they are not expensive on their own. But as you accumulate multiple different uh, organizations in terms of being a member it's going to cost you hundreds of dollars to do that. So time and cost are the two main factors that you have to consider and probably be selective about what you want to devote your time, energy, and money to given that there's a lot of different options.
0: And I think the one-liner that I use for my student advisees is that you can rip the benefit by you know basically what you saw. Um, so if you want a lot out of the organization, it's up to you how much and you know how involved, what depth you want to involve um, yourself in, because the opportunities are endless. But if you want to just become a member and then attend their once yearly meeting and just kind of complete your CE requirements, you can keep your involvement just to that level too.
1: I think the other thing um, tying into to the cost, you do have to keep in mind that there is a cost affiliated with each. And for me, one of the large organizations I've been a member of really since I was a student, and some years I've been more active than others. But for me, it's just a way of making sure I'm providing some financial support to that organization to help protect my profession and make sure the voice of our profession is being heard as legislation is being considered, voted on, etc. So that's another way that I think of that membership. Again, even if I choose not to be real active here and there throughout my career, it's what I do for my profession.
0: So continuing with the pros and cons, Dean I I do have a question. You know, how do we direct our students who are presented with all these, you know, organizations, how, how do you ask them you, to weigh it out? Of course.
1: Well, I tell them don't overcommit as a student, and if they're not sure what they want to do or which um, organization to join, consider joining a broad one, especially as a student, because there are so many varied opportunities within those organizations to kind of feel out their interests. And that's a great way. I don't want a student to get overcommitted either, it might impact their academics. And if you're overcommitted, you're probably not developing any real leadership skills, friendships, networks, et cetera, that you would be if you were committed to
0: one or maybe two organizations. And I think that's a great answer to those who are seeking those <coughs> stronger leadership positions. But the problem is not only what to select, because there are so many out there, but the problem is representation. There's so many different pharmacy organizations. If I'm looking at other healthcare professionals that maybe have one or two, exception of medical society. Um, But are we divided as we stand or are we united as we stand? Right. Well, that's a great question. You could probably Google
1: it and and get some hot uh, editorials on that for our profession. But, you know, I think from my personal opinion, in theory, one organization, you know, with the power of the most members and the most opportunities to promote our profession would be ideal, especially as we think about lobbying and impacting legislation, which we need to move our profession forward. However, with that said, as we've gone through so many strong national organizations that we currently have, I think they do a good job of working together um, at a national level on initiatives that can make a difference. And so they do come to the appropriate parties as a united front, but it's still confusing to the average Joe. The average Joe knows what the medical professional society is, but the average Joe in our society, if you asked who represents pharmacy or pharmacists, they're not going to know. And I think some of that is because we have so many different national organizations representing the, the profession.
2: So Dean Winnicky you, know, you mentioned what students can do or how they, a student should approach this. What about that new graduate, someone who just graduated ready to start their pharmacy career, what opportunities do they have?
1: Right, because sometimes they're like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? They knew what to do as a student and then you have seasoned practitioners who are in the groove and they know what to do. What I love about opportunities for new student grads is there are some uh, new grad membership opportunities. So if you were active in an organization, or even if you weren't but you thought it sounded good, join as a new grad because the fees are usually less, the organizations recognize that you have student loans, moving expenses, et cetera. And that gives you right away an opportunity to interact with online or at meetings, however you choose, folks that are like you in terms of uh, being in practice for typically five years or less. So those new practitioner networks are, are
2: awesome. So that wraps up episode 99 quite well. Uh, Dean Winneke, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. We really appreciate it. We're available at helixtalk.com. This is episode 99. We'll have links to basically all of these organizations. So within the alphabet soup, if you're kind of confused where to go, um, you're welcome to click on any of those links to kind of follow to the websites of those organizations. And we're also on Twitter at helixtalk. If you want to get some clinical pearls from previous episodes, those are available and released regularly as well. So with that, I'm Dr. Kane,
0: And I'm Dr. Patel. And I'm Janine Winicky. And at the end, I'm not going to say study hard. I'm going to say lead, organize, participate super hard. If you enjoyed the show, please help us climb the iTunes rankings for medical podcasts by giving us a five-star review in the iTunes store. Search for Helix Talk and place your review there.
1: To suggest an episode or contact
2: us, we're online at helixtalk.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Helix Talk. This is an educational production, copyright Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine
1: and Science.